0: He is greater, Jesus Christ. He is our king. He is our hope. He is heir of all things. He purifies us from sin. We have life eternal because of him. He is our great God. Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be worshiping with you, man. We are in a series called Greater. And it's all about worshiping Jesus Christ. That's what the church is all about. We rally together to be able to make much of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. Huge deal, huge privilege. And so greater, we're walking through the book of Hebrews. And this first section in Hebrews, we're calling greater. The Lord Jesus Christ is my God. Jesus, my God. Right? Greater, Jesus, my God. And we have this huge privilege of being able to see God the Son stepping down into this world and being so much for us. He is greater. And so our passion as we're walking through each week is to say, Lord, in what way should I be worshiping you as greater? Today, very specifically, the sermon title is Jesus is greater than any other way. Jesus is greater than any other way. The world sells a bunch of different ways to try to get to God in general, whatever they mean by that, of trying to get to some eternity, whatever is meant by that. But Jesus Christ is super clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way, and he is the greatest solution for all of us. That is a huge privilege and a huge thing to celebrate. May Christ truly get all the praise, and all of God's people said, "Amen." Huge deal. So turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter three, starting in verse seven. Hebrews three, starting in verse seven. As we get going here, point number one: Humbly respond to the God who does hold us accountable. Humbly respond to the God who does hold us accountable. Our God, He is love and He is justice. He does hold us accountable to all that's going on and He walks through life with us. May we humbly respond to Him. Oftentimes, we don't like to be held accountable and this challenge from this passage is make sure we approach Him humbly. So here we go, starting in verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. He starts out, therefore. And when we see the therefore, we say, yeah, what's the therefore, therefore? It's a connecting. Have you noticed how many times he uses the word therefore in the book of Hebrews? Have you seen this? It's like all over the place, because he's actually like, let me pose this to you as truth. Now, because of that, respond. Therefore, respond. Here's the next truth. Therefore, respond. It's always a call to action along the way. Hebrews, as he's delivering up, a here's the truth. Now, here's the call to respond. And that's exactly what we're going to be in today, is a call to respond. This is connecting back to the truth that Jesus is creator, That Jesus is the builder of the church. That Jesus is our big brother. That we have the family of God, a privilege of being in. That we get to be adopted into this home. And this is mercy and mercy alone. Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And he ends up, the Holy Spirit takes residence in us. And we now get to be called the house of God. Because we have those privileges with him, therefore... Let's respond. Here we go. He says, as the Holy Spirit says, as the Holy Spirit says, so now he's going to be giving a challenge that he actually is stating. The Holy Spirit is already recorded. recorded. In fact, this is in Psalm chapter 95. If you want to write that down, what's going to come up next is Psalm chapter 95, the second half of it. And in fact, Psalm 95 is a call to worship. The first portion is all about, oh, let, us make, uh, let us sing. Let us make a song, joyful song in our hearts. Let's celebrate Jesus Christ. Let's lift his name up. Like it's a lift God up. Let us make a joyful noise. Like that's the first portion of Psalm 95. And then the second half is, don't lose your worship fire. Hold on, hold to that passion and go after it with all you've got. See God for who he is and don't miss the big point. He says, as the Holy Spirit says, so I love this, the author of Hebrews, just making it really clear that the scripture is recorded as the Holy Spirit speaks to man and man records down. He's speaking a little bit to the inspiration of scripture here in Psalm 95. And like, this is really clear. This is what the Holy Spirit said. Here we go. Quote from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, he starts out. Today, if you hear his voice, today, everybody say today. It's a huge deal. The author makes this big deal. That word today, by the way, is repeated eight times in the book of Hebrews. The call is respond now. Don't miss this. If God is moving, if the Lord is speaking, if the Holy Spirit is whispering and convicting into your life, respond now, today. Don't put it off, man. All too often we're like, yeah, I should do that. Maybe tomorrow or next month, or something like that. He's like, today, if you hear his voice, man, if God is pressing in in any way, we have this huge privilege of being able to hear from God as he stirs in us, as he convicts us. The Holy Spirit moving in this room in a huge way, moving as we rally online together, moving in the space and place as we celebrate him. May God get all the glory as he stirs from his word. As we get to hear from his word, God often challenges us. Maybe there's something being said in the preach that you're hearing and being challenged by, or maybe there's just a moment as you're contemplating and God is like, that. That's the exact thing I'm talking about. Let's be working on that. That's where I'm going. And all of a sudden you have this conviction, this clarity of God doing some work in you. He's like, man, today if you hear his voice, if the word has been speaking, if a preach has been moving, if the spirit has been whispering, if, the con- if your conscience is lighting up, respond. Don't hold back. He says, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. This word harden means to be unresponsive to God's word or his work. To harden. It's when we become unresponsive to God's word or his work. This hardening, we become sort of solidified in our own selves, in our own sin, and we sort of drift back away from God and we miss out on God's word or his work, him moving in our lives. Man, we really have to get this. As I was contemplating it this week, I wrote this down. There are only two choices following your God or hardening your heart. And let that settle. There are only two choices following your God or hardening your heart. As you choose to drift back, as you choose to let sin speak, as you choose to not respond, even as God is pressing in, as we allow that hardening to happen, we end up falling back. Following becomes a a sort of a fail, if you will. We really only have two choices, following our God or hardening our heart. How are you doing in that? Are you following your king with all you've got? He says, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, as in the rebellion on the day of testing. He's talking here about Israel, and this comes right out of Exodus chapter 17. If you want to write that down, you can. Exodus chapter 17. Remember, Israel was captive, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years, they were mistreated. Things went poorly. 400 years, they were slaves, and it was going bad. And God chose to release them and remove them from that. God brought them out. He did some miracle work, some power stuff, and as they got released out, they were celebrating. They were on fire. They were so thankful that they got released out. They ended up getting next step right as they came out, kind of stuck at the Red Sea right at that moment on the water. is super deep, couldn't get through, and they were stuck, and they're like, great. Would have been better if we just went back to Egypt and stayed there. Why did we do this? And and God ends up bringing a miracle moment as he parts the Red Sea. And they were able to walk through on dry land as they get to the other side. And Pharaoh's army comes roaring in to get them. All of a sudden, the water just collapses back in as God releases it. And that water replaces back to its spot. And all of Pharaoh's army is wiped out. God did a huge miracle work as he freed them. And as they got to the other side, completely protected, they're like, this God is awesome. It didn't take long. And all of a sudden they're out into the wilderness wandering and uh, they're getting pretty hungry. And now they're like, great. Now there's no food. And God ends up bringing this bread from heaven that fell down that they could eat on a daily basis, right? They called it manna, or as they would have said it in the Hebrew, manah. Manah, you know what it means in the Hebrew? It means, "What is it?" That's literally what they named it. As this bread floated down that they could eat, they're like, "What is this stuff?" And the name became, "What is it? Manna from heaven that they lived on daily, regularly, all the time. And they praised God for that provision, and they went a little bit further, and all of a sudden they're thirsty. and they can't find water. And that's where we pick it up in Exodus 17 in this rebellion as they're like, why is God doing this? We are so thirsty. What is going on? As he talks through this challenge for them that they were not doing well with. And isn't it amazing how God works like this? Like God ends up kind of working in our lives where he sort of provides for us so that we get the confidence and we take a step with him, right? And then we get a little wobbly and then he provides again so that we're encouraged to take a step with him and just back and forth providing and then calling us to trust and take the step and then providing and then calling us to trust. It's amazing how God works like that. You know, we have the privilege of being able to watch Everett, our grandson, on Mondays over the lunchtime period, and uh, just a blast to be able to be with him and see him growing so fast. And, uh, you know, he's getting to the point where he's crawling around and he's starting to learn to walk, not on his own yet. You got to like hold his hands or kind of hold on to his waist as he's walking, but he's loving learning to walk. And the one thing we've noticed is if I get out in front of him and John has got his hands or something and we're calling out, I'm like, come on, you can do it Everett!" he gets this huge smile on his face as he starts taking these wobbly steps and he's doing so well. I've also noticed that if I get too far back, I just like wipe all of the confidence out of him and he collapses. If I step back, like I watched him last week we were doing it, I'm like, come on, man, you can do it. And I step back and he was like, oh, forget it. And he just dropped right down and was sitting, and he's like, not doing that. So I step back in, I'm like, come on, man, you can do it. And we stood him back up and he starts walking to me and I end up staying a little closer and we got him all the way there, right? And he's this huge smile, lift him up, do the big celebrate at the end. Man, I'm just telling you all too often, that's us with our God. We get with him seeming to us a little too far away. And so we just sit down and we're like, that's it, forget it. And that's exactly what was going on with Israel. They sat down and they were like, forget it. I can't trust my God. I don't know that he's going to be able to provide any water. I mean, you know, he got us out of Egypt and he split the Red Sea and he gives us food every day, but I don't know about water, right? All of a sudden they're questioning along the way. And he's like, yeah, that was a huge problem moment. He says, where your fathers put me to the test. Your fathers put God to the test. He's like, the fathers of Israel didn't get it. Now, please hear me. Thirst. And that's a reasonable concern. To be concerned about getting water and being able to have that in the desert. But they let it go too far. It's a reasonable response. But Exodus 17 says they actually went as far as saying, is God even among us? They literally said that. Is God even among us? I mean, he released them from Egypt. He split the Red Sea. He's given them food. They see the presence of him there. And Is he even here? They immediately began to accuse. So I just summarized it this way, uh, uh, writing it down this week. Satan's goal is to steal your worship by moving you from concerned to grumbling to accusing your God. Satan seeks to steal your worship by moving you from concerned to grumbling to to accusing. From concerned, like it's reasonable to think about it. Where are we going to get the water? To grumbling. I don't know if he's really got this. I'm not sure what's going on. To accusing. Is God even among us? And their worship collapsed, and they were attacking God. He's like, man, the, the worship was gone, and the accusation was high. By the way, just notice this they started accusing God. Who is the great accuser in all of the world? The great accuser, his name is, I know it's kind of weird to say it out loud, but it's okay to say his name out loud. The great accuser is Satan, Satan, man. He is the accuser and all he does is stir us, get a concern to move to grumbling so that we can start accusing and now we're doing what he does. Man, may we be careful with that. God says, and they saw my works for 40 years. Now, the incident occurred at the front end of them coming out of Egypt, but God's saying for 40 years, I remained faithful to them. I was present with them. I provided for them. I protected them against enemies. They continued to get this food. They got water safely and securely. I was with them. I did miracles with them. They saw my greatness. I never pulled back from them, but they were pulling back from me. He says, therefore, right, because they would not learn to trust, because they weren't getting it, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Forty years of self-reliance. Forty years of every moment something given, they just expected something else next. God's provision somehow didn't satisfy and their hearts began to stray. They let sin or self-reliance rise up. And that self-reliance, that sin, just continually cost them and impacted them. It says here, as I swore in my wrath, as I swore in my wrath. Now, God is love. That's who God is. We see that described in scripture. God is, everybody just say, is love. He is. He's love. And it's not he's loving, like sometimes, He brings love. It's he is love. It's always there. And so when God's looking to address these wrong behaviors and his wrath rises up and he's going to do some teaching in love, still managing and across the board, handling himself as love. Know this man, true love will address wrong. True love is concerned with sin. True love does take justice seriously. Man, it's a huge deal, and we have to grasp it. If you think that love is like, just let them get away with it. That's love. Man, I'm just telling you, that enablement is deadly, and that isn't love. It allows destruction. Parents, please hear me. Don't go the route of enablement in your home. You love so much that what matters is God getting the glory. Sin being managed properly. Man, be careful with all of it. God says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The consequence for these guys was earthly punishment. They were not allowed into the promised land of Israel. What you would think of as the land of Israel today, that's mostly the promised land we were talking about. And they were on their way to that. God ended up waiting for that generation to all pass away. It was their kids that ended up going in. And they were the ones that got to taste of that. The kids did. This generation, they had this earthly loss. It's a big deal. Now Moses, for example, he lost that privilege of being entering into the promised land. But Moses, clearly in heaven, right? We see Moses just thunderously spoken of. Hebrews 11 as this just hero of the faith. So there's some sort of consequence going on in the behavior. God dealing with them. And this is a huge deal as he walked through them, their walk with him and their faith. It says, they shall not enter my rest there was some consequence and we're called to a humble response to our god he's in charge he gives us so richly may we humbly look to him you know one of my favorite missionaries is hudson taylor a uh, guy just rocked it for christ in a huge way and uh, back in the 1800s looking to be a missionary to china and uh, rocked so many details. I'll I'll just give you a few here written. I wrote them down. He ended up building a mission society that had over 800 missionaries. 800 missionaries. It went from zero to 800 under his watch. Ended up building 125 schools in China. 125 schools that trained and taught, but then also made clear who Jesus Christ was. In fact, they, as they counted up and were talking with him, they gave some approximation. Over 18,000 people came to trust Christ through the direct ministry of Hudson Taylor. 18,000, and who knows how many beyond that as generation after generation. Hudson Taylor just being on fire for who Christ was and faithful in the process. Well, at the end, he was invited to be able to come speak at a conference. And Hudson Taylor was... Uh, they're on stage, and the MC began to speak, and as the MC. talked, she said, "I just want to make it clear who this man is and what he's done." And she talked about the 800 missionaries, the 125 schools, the over 18,000 saved. And as she was finishing it up, she said, "Let me make this clear. I want to introduce to you the illustrious Hudson taylor the place erupted in applause people standing up hudson taylor stepped up walked up to the podium and as the applause was going he just stayed back and stayed quiet and as it came to a close and they sat down he stepped up to the podium quiet and he said dear friends i am the little servant of the illustrious master. Please don't give me the applause, give them to Jesus Christ. And the place erupted in applause for Jesus Christ. Man, may we recognize that he is the illustrious master and we have the humble privilege of knowing him. And all of God's people said, huge call man. How are you doing at following Christ with humility? How are you doing at being able to set down your sin and make sure you're not hardening your heart all for His glory? How are you doing? Some sin have you and give it to your God. May He get all the praise. Okay? Point number two be cautious. Not believing and simply being around God is not saved let me say that again. Be cautious, not believing and simply being around God. That's not saved. And be careful of what you're doing with your attendance at church and you're going after God in some way that leads you to what feels good, but it's not saved. May we be cautious with that. Now, as we jump into this passage today, this is a tough piece here, this couple of verses. And there's been a lot of confusion on it over the years. In fact, this is one of the warnings uh, in Hebrews. There are three major warnings. Chapter 3 chapter 6 and chapter 10. So in this series, we're going to be dealing with it now in three. There will be the next one in six and the next one in 10. All of those three warnings, similar in their nature. And so we have to be careful though, because if you're not cautious with the words, you can get some really bad theology. So we're going to walk through this passage super carefully and make sure God gets all the glory, all right? So here we go. He starts out, take care, brothers. Take care, brothers. Literally, in the original language, it's using the word "to see. Use your eyes. Watch out for this. See to it, church. Make care of that. make sure you take care of this. All right? So he's calling them to use their eyes to be observant and to watch out for. And uh, he says, "Take care, brothers, the church, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart. Now we're going to start at the end of that phrase and work our way to the front, all right? So first, evil. This is like going after the things that God is not about. Like my actions, my thoughts, my wants, they're the things that God is not going after God is not doing. That's what's evil, okay? Somehow I'm going after that. Somebody's going after that. Evil. And then unbelieving, like I'm not putting my full faith and trust in God. Somehow there's a pulling back in my faith, all right? So an evil, doing what God wouldn't be about, unbelieving, not trusting him in some way, going on. Now, there's a couple of descriptions of what this actually could mean. And so the first uh, answer is, I think this is talking about believers who are struggling with sin. And uh, the reason they would say that is it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, brothers, an evil, unbelieving heart. And so you could see where they would get to it. It sounds almost like he's saying, hey, brothers, hey, you who are saved, be careful lest in you somehow becomes an evil, unbelieving heart. Now, we know from Scripture the only way that could happen is the welling up of the flesh sort of taking over. And so if this is a saved person that it's talking about, it could be like the flesh is sort of dominating. I'm falling to a sin in my life. I know it needs to go, but I'm letting it have the victory and I'm doing the thing that I shouldn't be about. And take care lest that somehow be going on in your life. Be cautious that you're not wobbling in your walk with Christ. And it could be that that's what it means. I got to be honest with you. There's a second meaning, which would be that this is actually speaking to an unbeliever that's in the crowd of those that are a believer, the church. And it's probably more where I land on this, just so you know. Um, but it could read like this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you the gathering together called the church. Right? Are you hearing it? So if there's anything in the gathering of the church, is there anyone in there that is wrestling with an evil unbelieving heart. Like they're doing things God would not be about. They're not believing in God. They're not going after him. But somehow they're a part of the church. Like they're checking a box. They're showing up. Maybe this even echoes and sounds like you today. As you're showing up here in person or online and you're like, I'm not sure where I stand with God and I'm doing my own thing and it's all about where I'm at. But But I'm trying to at least do a few things that look good, that they're sort of reaching out for God. And, man, be careful if you feel you're faking it in and around the church. If it looks like maybe you're saved on the surface, but down deep inside you know you're all about the sin you want to be about, you're all about the self you want to be about, you're all about the unbelief, I won't trust in God, it's going to be my way. But I'm showing up at the church, and I'm making it look dressed up. Like be careful with that. And it's a huge deal. I'm just going to tell you, part of the reason that I land on, I think it's maybe that one is because when you start to see words like "evil, unbelieving heart." It's pretty hard pressed for God to be talking that way about a believer's heart when he just got done saying, the house of God, the presence of me with you, adopted in, you're a child, the family, you are my family for life if you're saved, I love you and the Holy Spirit is with you, privilege all over, and then switch over to using these words. Those are some pretty hard-pressed words, and that would be my main reason I think this is probably speaking to those within the church who are missing who Christ is and making it all about self. But either way, can we just say, dude, it's not good to play with sin. It's a bad plan. Everybody just say it's a bad plan. Like either way, it's just a bad plan, whether it be the saved person wrestling with it or the unsaved who's getting confused with it and look what happens he's very clear after it he says leading you to fall away from the living god leading you to fall away from the living god if this is the saved person leading you to sort of miss the blessing and the opportunity and the privilege be careful some will take this moment and say this is a loss of salvation dude i'm telling you verse 14 makes it super crystal clear that is not the case so we'll get to verse 14 in a second but be careful with it. So maybe it's the saved person losing some blessing. Or maybe it's the person who's been in the church, around the church, but not saved, not trusting Christ. Maybe you admit that you're a sinner. You admit it. Maybe you believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. You're like, okay, I get it. He rose from the dead. He died on the cross and rose. But you haven't said, Lord, you're in charge of my life. Take over. You're playing a game along the way, and you're letting sin get in the way. And be careful. It says, leading you to fall away from the living God. And I'll just tell you this word fall away is harsh, it's aggressive in the Greek, and there's a tearing away. In fact, it's what we get the word apostasy from. And that's why I would also say this is probably more about unbelievers who are hanging out within the church and somehow missing that they're not saved and they're missing what's going on. Man, if you're here today and you're not sure where you're at, man, may you deal with and address your God and hand the sin to him and be done just saying, Lord God, you're in charge. Lord, I'm not gonna fake it and I'm not toying around. I give you my life. Huge deal. I'll put it this way maybe a good way to summarize this a quote I put down. Don't just be at church, be the church. Don't just be at church. Be the church. Don't just join online or walk into the service. Sit down in a seat and feel like somehow that's enough. Don't just be at church. Man, be the church. Be on fire for Christ. Called out. Celebrating him. Sin set down. God gets all the glory. Are you in? Is Jesus Christ getting worship and praise from your soul as you lay it out before him? Huge deal. Then he says, but exhort one another, but exhort one another. Like, I love this. The church is always about one another's, right? Love one another, care for one another, exhort one another, like encourage them, challenge them, come to them and let them know. Like if you see somebody that's getting ravaged by sin, come to them and say, are you okay, man? I'm seeing this hurt you. I love you. Man, being able to bring it up, I'm not saying every little annoying thing that's done wrong, right? I'm not saying just go after everything and look for perfection. It's not that, but if it's harmful, if it's habitual, if you're seeing sin, breaking someone down, coming to them and exhorting them and letting them know, we gotta be on this, man. I'm with you. I love you. Man, may we get real on our sin and may God get all the glory. I'm just telling you that it's important that every day in every way, We address the sin in our lives. He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Every day exhort one another. How often? Every day. Not uh, You know, once a month, whether it needs it or not. Every day. How are you doing with sin? Are you worshiping your God? Are you in with him? Or are you letting something get the better of you? Be careful along the way. See that none of you, That means not one of you are getting dragged down. man. may we exhort one another. I'm just going to say this, and uh, this is a tender topic, okay? So I'm going to be a little bit careful. But in the last year and a half, a lot going on with what's happened with COVID. And the reality is, it gets easy to isolate, and it gets easy to separate away. And all of a sudden, sin can sort of have its way. Apathy starts to have its way. And all of a sudden, it gets easy to not be... Very committed to showing up to church and going after it together. And please be careful, man. Our job is to rally together to worship the living God. That God would move in this place and stun our hearts. And that we could challenge one another. How are you doing with sin? Are you in with it along the way? I'll I'll even say it this way, man. With the online, we have to be so careful. I love you guys. So good to have you online And man, if you're online because you're traveling and you need to be, or because you're sick, and so you need to be there, or you need to be cautious with your health, then we love you. Please use this. It's for you, okay? But please hear me. Man, if you're there and you know it's because sin has been getting a little bit of a grip, apathy's been taking hold a little bit, you're just drifting away a little bit, man, it's time to come join us in the one another's called the church as we gather here in person. Man, we got to be careful. May God get the glory. Satan's goal is to isolate and his job is to tear us down. We must protect our worship. And all of God's people said, and please hear my tender heart in that. Love you guys. And this is such a hard season. I get it. May we work together and rally together all for Jesus Christ. He says, we got to be careful that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin don't let sin harden your heart. The deceitfulness of sin, right? Sin can tear us apart. Sin, it's deceitfulness. I just wrote this. It pays off in the moment. It does. If sin doesn't pay off, what a dumb thing to do. It has some moment to feel good. It pays. But in the long run, it steals. That's the deception. There's a payoff in the moment, but in the long run, a deceiving stealing that takes from your soul as it hardens the heart. In fact, as sun hardens the clay, so sin hardens the soul. As sun hardens the clay, so sin hardens the heart. Be careful with that. Watch out and protect along the way. It says that we might be hardened How do we go after that? It means that each and every moment we go after sin, however we need to. It means you always make sure you're getting it confessed and getting it done fast. Keep a short list. Make sure you get after it. And if there's some hurt or whatever, get on that. I mean, make sure that every day, I tell you, every Sunday before I come in here, I pray right here about two minutes before, Lord, if there's anything else, Lord, what needs to go? Please forgive me. I'm clearing house. Get it right before your God. May God get the glory. It's a huge deal. And um, it's important to get stuff clean. I'm telling you today... I can do this, right? Yeah. Today... We ended up, I got the permission at nine, but you just got to make sure, you know. Today, the reality is we had a little bit of a misunderstanding. There was something that had gone on over the course of a couple of days, and I could tell there was a little bit something different and hurting in the tone, and like, where are we at? What's going on? And we had to have a sit down to it, and there was some other thing that happened, some other event gone on, but it had a little bit of backlash. It's not like there was a sin per se, but it was beginning to cause misunderstanding, and there was tone, and there was difference, and we got it done then. Like at 10 to 9, quarter to 9, get it clear if you need to get it clear, man. Do whatever you need to do. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. amen, man, a huge deal. Don't let sin sit. It hardens the heart. All right. Verse 14 now. This is a huge verse, by the way, for those who are in impact groups, you're going to be going over this this week in your questions, so make sure you listen well here, all right? It says, for we have come to share in Christ. We have come to share in Christ. Have, okay? That's In the perfect form, it means it already happened. It's in the past. We have come to share in Christ. Like they're already saved. It happened in the past. It's affecting the present and the future. That's what the word have come means. Super important deal. Already saved. Everybody say already saved. Right, You're already saved, and the proof of that is that you will then carry through all the way to the end. He says, if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. Holding the confidence to the end is a part of being saved. Now, there are some that change this, and they do one thing with it, and it's very dangerous. They drop the word have, and they put the word will, and they move it over here. And they say, you will share with Christ if indeed you hold your confidence to the end. That is not what it says. Everybody say, not that. Dude, it doesn't have the future on it. It has the past on it. Perfect. We have come, and so we will then carry through. This is an absolute promise of salvation and security in it. This is the perseverance of the saints. Verse 14, if you're saved, you'll follow through with confidence to the end. For those who maybe were in the church and not getting what's going on, and they allowed sin to grip them, and they started to drift away, They stopped listening to Christ and they had nothing to do with Jesus and they had nothing to do with the faith and they said, I'm done with trusting him. Well, actually they never did trust Christ. And verse 14 is making that super clear. Man, may we anchor in the promise that we have hope in Jesus Christ and he gets all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen. He says at the end, As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Again, he quotes from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And if God is stirring in your soul, if you know you've been letting sin sit on you and you've been hardening up, or maybe worse, you know you've been in the church and you've been faking it along the way, man, today is the day. It's time to respond to Jesus Christ and give him your soul. Give him your all. May God get all the glory. All goes to Jesus. And all of God's people said, let's pray.